I'm Sean O'Neill, and this is Try Hard, a love letter to failure. You fuck with self-help at all? Self-help and encouragement to those who need it. Welcome to Try Hard, a love letter to failure. I am your host, Sean O'Neill, and joining us for our first ever episode in his domicile is Bram Kennedy. Yeah, what up, players? Bram is the host of Bram Nation and a stand-up comic around Portland. Shout out. Shout out. Bram, there's one reason and one reason only why you're on here today. Oh, boy. Because you're letting me use your equipment, and <laughs> Wait, for that I appre- <laughs> and for that I appreciate you so very much. I'll take it. Because that is the tryhard's dilemma. Because what we what we lack in talent will make up for in hustle, and possibly friendship. But <laughs> I hope not. I hope nobody. Uh, oh no! I hope. I no. I agree. Yes. I thought we were gonna. Um, if we don't try hard, then we're gonna lose our friendship. For some reason, that's the the equation oh, that went no. in my head, but I'm going to try my hardest, John. It's going to be okay. <laughs> oh, no, no. You'd have to try really hard to lose me as a friend. I'm one of those people that, like the John Mulaney quote, you you could spill soup on me and I would apologize yeah. to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never get rid of friends unless they, like, call my daughter a cunt or something. Wow. Has anyone ever called your, what is it, she five years old? She's four years old. And yeah, I had a, an old friend say that she was a cunt. So I had to be like, all right, well, we're not talking anymore. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I think he was a little crazy, so it's like forgivable still, but I, you know, you got to draw the line. All right. (laughs) Well, that's Bram Kennedy, everybody, (laughs) where he draws the line when it comes to family. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is at this time that I think I should read a little mission statement. Uh, I don't have it in front of me right now. God forbid I should seem prepared for this, but uh, try hard love letter to failure is all about trying your best even when your instincts tell you to quit it's all about self-care and self-preservation among other things i had something prepared for this we'll cut this out (laughs) i like it man all right that's a good mission statement that's a good mission statement that's a goddamn good one because today we're going to talk a little bit about uh a little bit about failure and a little bit about uh, how one prepares themselves for uh, success should it ever come along. Bram, can I ask you, do you like sports movies? I like some sports movies. What, what sports movies do you like? Airbud comes to mind. <laughs> I like... um. Remember the Titans? I like Sandlot. That's a good one. Sandlot's solid. Sandlot. Scrappy underdogs that uh, show the kids with with good uniforms that they can play just as well as they can. Did you ever see uh, the, um, the Little Giants? I did see the Little Giants. Solid. The only scene I remember from that movie is when the kid gets his first jock strap. And he puts the cup over his face and breathes like Darth Vader. <laughs> Pretty funny scene. <laughs> Rick Moranis is just sort of uh, like, I might not be sure, but uh, I don't think that goes there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My favorite is possibly uh, 
I'm going to say Slapshot. If you haven't seen Slapshot, it's a hockey movie from the early 80s that is all about this uh, scrappy team that is about to be dissolved in a uh, dead-end town, and the captain of the team, played by uh, Paul Newman, basically lies to all those members saying, yeah, if we have a really good season, the owner is going to sell us lock stock... uh, uh, sell us the entire team to this community in florida <laughs> we get to hang out in florida and play on the ice down there isn't that awesome meanwhile he's lying the entire time oh yes <laughs> oh <laughs> damn so in order to get people interested they just kind of play dirtier hockey and just uh w- one character says this isn't hockey anymore this is wrestling shit <laughs> Because they're just turn themselves into goons. And the thing that I love about Slapshot is they don't win at the end of the the uh, se- season. Spoilers, spoilers. It's about small victories. And even though you lose, you didn't lose the lesson. They got closer as a team. And because they, well, made buffoons out of themselves and made themselves look like the biggest goons in the uh in the uh, league, there were a bunch of talent scouts in the audience ready to pick them up for for other teams. Is that based on a true story? It's inspired by... Uh, there were some characters in it that were based on real hockey players at the time, but it's not based on a true story. It was written by a uh, a woman. I can't remember her name at this moment, but her brothers were hockey players and uh there were three characters the hansen brothers <laughs> three blonde guys named hansen that were uh the biggest goons you could possibly imagine and they're uh, they were based off of the carlson brothers okay yeah okay nice huge goons and the only reason it wasn't all three the carlsons in the movie is one of them got called up to play for the edmonton oilers and that was during the time when Wayne Gretzky was still on the Oilers, so you don't pass that up. Damn. Yeah. So, you're a stand-up comic, and you deal with rejection all the time. Some say you bring it on yourself, some say some say it's the nature of the business. How do you deal with that? Mm, I look at, I mean, specifically for stand-up comedy, failure is like the bricks that build the wall Mm -hmm. of a comedy routine like you literally cannot write a joke you can't write a funny joke without telling that same joke over and over again and it not being funny Mm -hmm. until you figure out exactly the right way to make it funny so the failure is like literally just part of the game absolutely I when I did stand up I wrote on stage a lot so I had a lot of uh experience bombing and mm-hmm. trying to dig myself out of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite things to do is just like dig a hole, say some ridiculous shit that the audience is not down with <laughs> and then see if I can bring it back around before I get off stage. In that way you're playing with weights on. Yeah. Yeah. Same with when you go up on stage stoned. <laughs> you know, where it's like, man, this is might not go well <laughs> but if it does then i'm learning something here because my brain but will you remember the lesson that is the question mm. when you go on stage stoned well i've learned lessons in my life 
since the point in my life where I've been 24-7 stoned. Mm-hmm. So I'm still picking up. I don't know if I'm picking up as fast as I would sober, but I'm learning. All right. That's great. What would you say was one of the biggest failures as far as stand-up goes? Damn, dude. Uh, I mean, I, not to embarrass you or anything like this, what's a what's a spectacular bombing story? Okay, so the first time I ever did stand-up, mm-hmm. I was in Bellingham at the college up there at Western Washington. I was a janitor, and I saw this sign for a comedy open mic, and I was thinking about how I want to be doing comedy. So I was like, here we go. This is it. This is my sign. So I go to the thing. I'm on. I'm on my shift when this open mic is happening. So I go on my lunch break to sign up. And then I come back when the show starts as, like, another little break. And they said I could go first, so I wasn't, like, wasting my time at work. And when I get into this coffee shop on the school campus, it's, like, September. Everybody just got to school. And there's a show in the only coffee shop on campus. So everybody is there. (laughs) I walk into this coffee shop that I'm changing the trash cans at five five days a week. And there's... It's at it's at it's full occupancy. It's completely stuffed full of people standing all the way like everybody's here to see this show because there's some comedians in in Bellingham that are funny. So it's a reliable like hey, we're going to go see some comedy. Nobody's doing anything. We're all stuck on campus. Let's go to this show. Mhm. And then I'm the first comic that's getting up at this comedy open mic. It's never not, having done it before. Yes, in front of and when I say it was at least 100 people, I'm just saying that because if I say it was 200, I might be overdoing it. <laughs> but, you know, like, it was more people than I could look around at, and I'm and they're all here to hear jokes. And mm-hmm. I've never told a joke on stage before. So I go up there with my story that I've, with my, like, uh, my monologue that I've prepared, and within five seconds of, of doing this thing, I realize that this isn't what jokes are. <laughs> like, oh, shit, I just wrote a monologue. None of this is going to be funny for the rest of my five minutes that I have prepared. Mm-hmm. So I just like froze up and then went like, uh, I got to go. And then I got the fuck out of there with <laughs> like, um, you know, 30 seconds into my set. Oh, my God. See, yeah. That's... And the host was doing this like, come on, just keep telling jokes. He was like trying to. And I was just like, you fucking keep telling jokes. I don't, I'll tell jokes if I want to. Tell I was like free. I f- like snapped. Oh, my God. So I didn't do stand-up for, like, two years after that. I can completely relate to that because coffee shop shows are tough. Mm-hmm. Because the audience is alert. They are sometimes very impolite because they came to the coffee shop to chat with their friends. Yeah. And also you got the uh, espresso machine interrupting you, like, every 30 seconds or so. Yeah, coffee grinder. <laughs> I did exclusively coffee shop shows for the first two years that I was doing stand-up, and it was a nightmare. I thought I was preparing myself before I went to an actual club, but what I was doing was just getting myself used to the coffeehouse crowd. This one particular time, I'll be honest, I should have chosen my material better. I told a joke that involved the word AIDS. Okay. Yes. Word. Which... (laughs) In a coffee shop full of young people after 7 p.m. on a weeknight, that's not going to go over very well. And uh, when I got off stage, I went to talk to a friend and this one girl who had been paying attention and had yelled up, what is wrong with you? In the middle of my set, came up to me 
and said, "Uh uh-uh, you got to go, and pushed me out the front door. Whoa. Yeah, people take um, (laughs) stand-up comedy very seriously. Oh, yes, yes. People take it very seriously because it's the closest we have to uh, pop philosophers going on right now. pop philosophy, that's interesting. Pop philosophy, I mean... If we were to compare stand-up comedy to uh, monologuers of early of earlier times, people got their ideas and their mythos from these monologuers. But a lot of people are just trying to tell funny jokes to make you forget about your life for five minutes, and will say uh, ridiculous shit just for the attention. Yeah. I was one of them. I said ridiculous shit just to get attention. Yeah. Well, that's what I do every week. <laughs> that's just like the only thing I know how to do on stage is like, I guess I'm going to go up there this week and say some ridiculous shit. <laughs> and hopefully in between my ridiculous shit, I'll say something reasonable that's funny. And I'll write that down because that's the stuff that I need to keep. Oh, yes. I. I guess I just... I haven't quit comedy completely. Uh, twenty twenty kind of quit for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You meanwhile ran uh, outdoor shows with your uh, with your pickup for a while. Yeah, yeah. Could would you want to expand on that a little bit? So uh, we uh, decided that you don't. The only thing you need for stand up comedy is a stage and a mic. You know, and somewhere you just need to elevate a voice and a person. Mm-hmm. And he has to tell jokes. Or mm-hmm. they. or They they have to tell jokes. Right. And my friend Kevin is just like out of the box thinker. And he was saying, why don't we just use the truck as the stage? <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. And he was like, yeah, we could just put the amp up there. And I was like, wait, even better. Why don't we open up the truck doors and plug the mic into the truck stereo and then the truck is the stage and the sound system. And it was just like, it was this light bulb moment of like, yes. So we just find spots around town, abandoned parking lots, behind trees, just park the truck, tell everybody where we're at, set some chairs up, get the mic plugged in, and then everybody just takes turns doing their little setup on the truck bed. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. And I bet it made you a... Uh... With such an out-of-the-box idea like that, I bet it made you a lot of friends within the stand-up comedy community. Uh, friends and enemies, yeah, weirdly. You know, oh, yeah? As you can imagine, I'm sure. Due to COVID? They're... Yeah, well, I'm being a terrorist out there. A terrorist? Well, I'm out there killing people's grandmas. Oh, my God. You know, you know, it's just like, why would I get a bunch of people together outside to laugh during the middle of a pandemic? It's just very dangerous of me. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Some people don't like that. But yes, I did make friends. It was nice because I haven't had friends before in Portland. And uh, comedy has really, really, really opened up the doors to really cool people that I appreciate. I'm glad. Me too. Sean. Thank you, Bram. (laughs) You're such a sweetheart, Bram. (laughs) All right. What what are some things that you wish you could explain to uh, people about what you do and uh, how it's done? Okay. Um, I, it sucks because I feel like the people that would listen to your show mm-hmm. would have an understanding of the basics of uh, like what what's happening with a joke. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, if you don't, if you've ever heard a joke and you go, now nah, that was too far. He shouldn't have told that joke. 
you gotta understand that if the joke would have made you laugh, you wouldn't be saying that. And the intention of the joke is to make you laugh. So, okay, if the joke doesn't, if someone does a dead dad joke and you've got a dead dad, so you don't think it's funny, that's one thing. And you can do that. But to say that he shouldn't make that dead dad joke, there's somebody else in the same exact audience, most likely, depending on the size of the audience, whose dad died who laughed at that joke. And when they heard that dead dad joke, it made something in their head click that makes them feel a little bit better about the fact that they have a dead dad Mm -hmm. and if you don't tell your dead dad jokes then everybody's just going to go through the rest of their lives feeling sad about dead dads instead of laughing about it so if you're against people laughing about negative things then i guess we can't find a middle ground and that's fine but i like when people laugh at negative things because when i personally laugh at negative things it makes those things just like easier to handle Sure, I completely agree. Could you walk me through uh, a day of you preparing to tell jokes, Bram? Good one. Oh, I just have had recently um, a couple days where I actually like did the preparation. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that this would probably apply to anything that anybody's doing. I imagine you prepared for this. Oh, absolutely. And when you come into a uh, performance, especially sports, entertainment, you're if you come in prepared, you're just going to do better. I I spent I spend so much time thinking, um, I just need to be myself on stage, mm-hmm. and it'll go fine. <laughs> but then you get up on stage and you don't know how to be yourself. Absolutely not. So, um, what I like to do um, traditionally, if I if I don't have a big set ahead of me, if it's just an open mic, I'm gonna be thinking about it during the day. So I have to like, I have to get rid of that thought because it's a negative thought of like, what's going to happen at this open mic. Mm -hmm. The main thing is just how to control that thought. Um, If you are nervous about something in the future, Mm -hmm. one recommendation is to pretend that that event is a fight. That's what I've started to do is when I have a really big event coming up, I go, all right, the big fight's coming up. Because if I picture myself going into a a ring with the intention of kicking somebody's face or getting my face kicked, that's like easier for me to wrap my head around why I'm feeling nauseous leading up to the event mm-hmm. than I'm going to go up on stage and talk. So it like gets rid of some of the confusion. Um, you all, I, you would just carry a notebook as any comic or anybody who's like, if you're creative, just have a notebook. If you're not creative, just have a notebook so when you have a thought in your head, a stupid thought like, oh, I like this song, write that shit down. So the next thought can come replace where that thought was. Because if you're sitting there thinking about stuff and you don't write it down, then your brain's going to get stuck on a thought and trying to remember that thought. So I like to write shit down and then my brain can move on. All right. That's solid advice. Yeah. And then that's most of the day is just like writing down any tags that come up, writing down the jokes that you have in mind. Anytime you're nervous, just write something down and it helps you remember it a little bit better. And you just do that all day till you get there. And when you get there, that's game time. And that's up to you how you handle that. You ever try script software? No. What's that? Oh, just uh, a different way of writing on the uh, on the computer. Instead of using Word, you just use a script software like uh, Scribe or something like that. Why? What's a script? What does that mean? Script software? Oh, it uh, allows you to, uh, rather than writing your uh, material using uh 
using just your free form notebook. You just uh, write it as if it were a script. And that way, using the script software, it's easier to um, take lines out and put certain lines back in, oh, move weird. things around. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like there you now you've got like pieces of a project instead of a bunch of uh, like letters and words. Bingo. That's weird, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm throwing that out there as advice that I do not follow. Oh, word. I kept meaning <laughs> to try that. But I'm so painfully disorganized that the idea of moving all of my stuff onto a script software was uh, so terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. I still might. I probably should give it one last go. Yeah, I like the idea. I do. I, I use a notes program. Okay. And I keep telling myself I'm going to start putting tags in the notes that I write so I can remember. I can go back and search my notes to see the things when I write about sharks, everything about sharks. Mm-hmm. But I just never tag stuff up. I never put my hashtags on the notes. So it's just not, uh, you know, there's there's more efficient ways to do everything. Absolutely. It's tough. Yeah, our brains are horribly inefficient, which is, which leads me to my next thing. You in therapy? Mm. Uh, No. No? Ever thought about it? Yeah, all the time. Because it seems amazing. Mm-hmm. Um... You ever been in group counseling or anything like that? Oh, maybe as a child. Okay. Yeah. Not to not to put you on the spot or anything. Bram, you seem tense. Have you ever been to therapy? Really? Do I seem tense? No. Okay. okay. No, no, cool, no. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, <laughs> word. No, I haven't. Um... Bram, you seem slightly psychotic. Have you ever <laughs> thought about talking to somebody? <laughs> maybe. Maybe that I should mention it. <laughs> no, I think I'm doing okay, so it's like... And it's like, I know that uh, therapy isn't just for people with problems, but if I'm going to spend my money and time on something, mm-hmm. I personally need it to be productive. So if I don't see a problem to solve, then it's just like, that's just not what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's what I'm doing with my money right now. I uh, My work insurance doesn't cover mental health. Mm. One of the many oh. holes in our in our system that... They cover dental, but they do not cover mental health more than two psychiatric visits a year. That's weird. It is weird. Because the mental is like the most important part of your health. Yes. Huh. People have mental health problems way more frequently than they have health problems. Right. In the real world. So every two weeks, I I pay my uh, therapist out of pocket just so I can have somebody to talk to. How much does that cost? Uh, I'll tell you off there. Word up. Okay. That's so... I know that they have... Um, options mm-hmm. uh, just for the listeners mm-hmm. there's, there's always free options there's free therapy out there absolutely so there's free therapy there's also uh the, the that program that that they always advertise on podcasts sure uh, yeah mm-hmm. my sure are we should we not say my, that my my mindful my my app the the therapy app yeah yeah i forget we, what it's called should we not say their name if you want to, sp- if you want them to sponsor you, you got to say their name. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll come uh, back to that later. Yeah, we'll bleep that in. All right. You fuck with self help. I love self help. That's right. how I. That's how I therapize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I take care of it. So yeah, self help's pretty cool. Oh, what you working on recently? I learned recently about this. Um, uh, it's like simplifying your life. Mm-hmm. So just if you just take care of, uh, if you just have your money your health and something else see i already missed the third there's like it's like mm-hmm. a three-legged stool and if you have that then whatever your goals are 
you you're just gonna move towards them if mm-hmm. you have if you have extra money extra health and extra uh, something else mm-hmm. you'll just naturally move towards your goals and i kind of believe that uh-huh i just finished uh reading the life-changing uh the life-changing book of not giving a fuck yes yes mark manson no 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 the uh the other one who's which one does mark manson do uh, how to not give a fuck how to not give a fuck you, this is a different one yeah yeah this is a different one here let me uh the life-changing book of not giving a fuck life-changing here i'm just going to bring her book up right now got it in my libby app did you read uh white fragility the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck by sarah knight which is a parody of uh of uh, the life-changing magic of tidying up by oh. Maria Kondo. Oh. So in this, she uh, says, all those personal relationship things that you really don't care about, you can get around them. If you never want to go to another bridal shower again, you don't have to. Just send a <sighs> gift and you'll be fine. Just tally up how much money you would spend going there, da 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 And not giving a fuck, you can be polite and still not give a fuck. I have such a hard time mm-hmm. saying no. Oh, I believe it. You know, where it's like, I'll make plans with somebody. And like, literally today, I was supposed to go shooting with my friend. Oh, really? And then this morning I wake up, I'm just like, I don't want to at all. <laughs> I just you don't, don't. want to go shooting? It was more about, well, okay, to be honest, mm-hmm. it was like, I can't afford bullets right now. <laughs> bullets are expensive. <laughs> Okay, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, that was the main reason. Mm-hmm. It's just life. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sucks. I uh, got up this morning and went on a hike with friends, not because I wanted to, but because they invited me. And I felt guilty saying no, but I went and I had a good time. But that is one of the many times when you made a healthy decision because somebody pushed you in the right direction whereas doing an unhealthy thing because you don't want to be an asshole like i've gone out for drinks when i didn't want to because i didn't want to be an asshole right and then now you're now you're getting negative consequences from doing something you didn't want to do anyways exactly yeah exactly that's always awkward and uh yeah yeah that's uh it's what I'm reading right now, the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck, and I'm rereading Maria Kondo because I'm trying to get my house in order. I live in 30 square feet of hoarder's paradise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, the self-help book I most recently actually read. What did you read? Uh, Finding Freedom in an Unfree World. Oh, really? That sounds familiar. So this is the book that made me realize that I don't have to be an evangelical libertarian okay i don't have to go around and convince all the people around me to let me be free Mm -hmm. i can just do whatever the fuck i want and stay out of other people's way and now like look at this i didn't need your own setup i didn't need to convince somebody to let me build a studio in my apartment absolutely not i'm free yeah even though technically like technically speaking this is kind of illegal (laughs) this is supposed to this is a living space not a workspace Mm -hmm. and we're in the middle of an epidemic so it's like Mm -hmm. oh no we're not free but look we're doing it anyways Mm -hmm. so that's what i found out. i was like that's pretty cool 
Yeah, we're doing it anyway. We're being careful. Everyone, you can't see us. We've got masks on. Yeah, there's a big glass panel between us. But the thing is, like, the CDC wouldn't, you know, wouldn't care. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Dude, I got to figure out what uh, mic stands Joe Rogan's using. Because I swear he's just got levitating mics that just follow the guest wherever they go. It's bound to be expensive. Thousand dollar just for the stand? Probably. You know that that's out there. It's got to be. Hydraulic stands that, like, it's like... It's like takes zero effort to move because it's just it just does it on its own. Oh, so hot, so good. What's uh, what do you what goals are you working towards as far as life goals? Getting my daughter to adulthood without mm-hmm. fucking her up too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Every dad's dream. Yeah, that's 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 priority one. Um. I need to find a way to make my own money. Mm-hmm. I can't keep working for a company. I'm realizing. And I can do it, but I can't keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to get real antsy, and I don't have anywhere to go except for in my own direction. So I'm just trying to like figure out, like, how do I get people to just give me money to like go do what I'm trying to do? So figuring it out, but it's not easy. Absolutely. I I relate to that in that I work 12 hour days, four days a week, and uh, it's taxing. It's taxing. I thought the extra days off would be relaxing, but no, I I am falling way behind. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, 12 hour days is like get home and go to bed. It, It should be, but I find myself not doing that. Hey, yeah. Um, may I can I ask how much you sleeping? Uh, seven or fewer hours a night. That's cool. Yeah. How about you? Uh, <laughs> I think I get like, uh, like four to six a night. Four to six? That's my sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not medically recommended, but, um, I know that there's people out there in the world who can get that much sleep and still have equal functionality. Mm-hmm. So if I just tell myself I'm one of those people. Then I can make it. I can get by. I used to believe I was one of those people. And then I found myself lying in bed, staring at the clock, thinking, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. They'll fire me and Uh, I'll just lie here in bed. Yeah. I'm a depressed individual, so that's something that I have to deal with on a daily basis. Anyone else out there depressed? (laughs) We're working through it one day at a time. We'll fake it till we make it. Isn't isn't that basically the advice? That is for depressed people. Is like, hey, just keep trying. <laughs> I mean, there's very little good advice when it comes to depression. Just acknowledge that you're suffering, yeah, and do your best to fake your way through it. God damn, that's like one of the most um, challenging things I imagine mm-hmm. would be to pretend to be okay when you're just not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I. Uh... Had a lot of practice at it. Oh, man. <laughs> Had a lot of practice at pretending that I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're running your own studio right now. Am I your first uh, Am I your first uh, uh, tenant guest? or? Yeah, or... technically, yeah. Oh, wow. And you're like proof of concept now. So hmm. just the, uh, the idea that this is a possibility makes me go, huh. I've... <laughs> There's been a couple other people who asked me who I was just like, no. Who I would just say no to. 
But then you asked, and I was like, obviously Sean deserves like a little bit of work because he's worked with me and we're cool. Okay. And now I'm like, man, I could, uh, I could let people use this room. Absolutely. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you want a good failure story? Let's hear a good failure story. I might have already told you. I, 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 yeah, I did tell you. I told you on my podcast. Well, let's go over it again. It's a good one. I think your podcast. I think your your guests would appreciate it because this is very your style. So I, when I poisoned my entire uh, family, <laughs> when I gave everybody food poisoning, <laughs> I made pickled sausage, which I thought like, um, because I made pickled eggs so much. The CDC or the FDA recommends not to pickle eggs because it's, quote, meat, and you're not supposed to pickle meat. It's dangerous. But farmers will tell you, no, pickles, pickled eggs, eggs aren't meat. They do their own thing. I've been eating pickled eggs for centuries. we got no problems here. Mm-hmm. So I just go with it. I'm making the pickled eggs, and I'm like, hey, if I can do pickled eggs, I can do pickled sausage. Yeah. And you Google it, and they say, hey, if you're, if you're pickling meat, you have to use a pressure cooker. And I don't know why, but that's what they say you have to do. But then I'm like... Well, I mean, I'm not, I, they said that if you're pickling eggs, you have to use a pressure cooker and I don't do that. So I guess we're just going to, if it's probably the same thing with meat. So I just, I just put the sausages in a jar with some vinegar and boil it the way you do vegetables. And, uh, when it came out, there was this big air gap in the can with the sausages. And I was like, well, that's a little weird, but, um, I still want to, I still want to have been able to say that i made pickled sausage so i was like i'm gonna keep doing i'm gonna just flip the jar upside down get the other half of the sausage soaked in vinegar on the shelf and then a couple days later i open it up and feed it to everybody in my family and everybody's down with it because it's like tasty it's like pickled sausage people are actually like Mm -hmm. it's an interesting enough flavor uh and then the next day i wake up in the middle of the night i'm vomiting and then i get um a call from my mother-in-law asked telling us hey watch out we think we got a bug so if you guys start puking it might be because we had a stomach flu when we came over and then i go oh that's funny because uh we we uh we're puking and i think it's because the pickled sausages that all of us ate and we did the account and yeah everybody who had the pickled sausages was puking violently and everybody who didn't it wasn't so. It was. It was definitely the sausage fault, and that was like the most embarrassing, biggest failure probably of my entire life. Because I could have killed him. I could have given everybody in my family botulism. Oh my god! So I looked up. So I looked up fucking botulism. Mm-hmm. Man, I I hope I have this right. I'm pretty sure sh- because you because it, it it it's possible. Mm-hmm. It happens. Um, but the word botulism comes from the latin word for sausage what so i mean basically the like botulism comes from sausage <laughs> and i just pickle i just gave my whole thing i could have you know they would have died they would have all died in paralysis if oh that happened God. you know in paralysis that's what botulism does it, it per, per, paralyzes you and then you die oh my god people, that's horrifying people do not live from botulism that's horrible. So I was like, for the next three days, I was like, fuck that bitch for telling me I could have given her botulism. And then for a month after that, I was like, man, I really could have given them botulism. <laughs> Damn. Which is why you follow instructions. Yeah, now I don't pickle sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, my family had uh, access to uh, fresh caught tuna, so we canned our own tuna. Oh, weird. Oh, yeah. weird. We canned our own tuna, just these big slabs of tuna in jar in yeah. mason jars. 
and it is so much better than what you got on the shelf. I was absolutely spoiled by that growing up. Yeah, because it doesn't. It's not dried out. Absolutely not. It's still coated in uh, oil and vinegar. Yeah, and it's like, uh, yeah, man, I had some canned herring, and it was just like, this is special. You like pickled herring? You ever have pickled fish? Love pickled fish. I've never had it. Mm-hmm. But I believe it is. I've had pickled herring. I've had uh, gefilte fish before. What exactly is that? I believe it's uh, pickled whitefish. Mm. I feel like maybe maybe fish is easier to pickle than other meats because of the protein. Like the it's, way it's obviously formatted. very different, yes. Yeah, it's like flaky, so I feel like mm-hmm. you could get the vinegar in between cells there. Yeah, whereas before they've got uh, potted beef. Have you ever heard of potted Whoa. beef? I've heard that word, but I don't know what that is. Okay, so what you do is you cook a big uh, slab of beef, and then you shred it, and then you put it in a pot, a pot about the size of my hand, and you press it down so there's no air. Oh. And what you did in the old days for what you were on, this goes back to like the 18th century. People were doing this. They were pouring clarified butter on top of it, and it creates a seal. Whoa. And that's good for three or four weeks. No shit. And people were just eating that just straight out of the pot. They would break the seal of clarified butter and just eat it straight out of the pot. So maybe like extra salted meat and then um, probably shred the fuck out of it, squeeze it into a thing, into mm-hmm. like a into like a puck. As long as the seal isn't broken, you should be okay. Then again, be careful. Actually refrigerate it. You don't want to give your family botulism. Right. That that makes sense, though, because if you get the air out mm-hmm. and it's just meat in there, it's just meat and salt water. Mm-hmm. And then you put butter on top. Mm-hmm. It's going to it's going to. Th- coat it's gonna solidify and be airtight yep clarified butter not just regular butter clarified is where you get the water out of the butter yep so it's just fat just fat so it's just a layer of fat sealing the top of and it's and it's touching the meat yeah that makes a lot of sense oh god damn yep i've never heard of that that's a cool format yeah yeah you can look up how to do that on um oh geez you know what, we'll, we'll come back to that later. We'll do it in post. <laughs> old cooking is always blows my mind, especially old baking, mm-hmm. because they were working with so much more crude measuring devices. Oh, yes. So when you look at a recipe for a cake, and it's like, they've been making cake for hundreds of years, but they didn't have thermometers, they didn't have electric ovens, they didn't have mixers, they didn't have um, processed flour... All these things that we use to bake today, mm-hmm. using these old recipes, they were just basically doing like freehand. Absolutely. Freehand baking, which is crazy. You know why they call it pound cake? Oh, why? Because you take a pound of milk, a pound of butter, a pound of sugar, a pound of eggs. It's five ingredients, and it's a pound of each. Really? Yep, that's how they used to measure it back in the old days. A pound, yeah. A pound of eggs, a pound of flour, a pound of sugar. Yeah, if you had a scale, you could measure your baking ingredients Mm -hmm. effectively. Because that's actually, by by weight, is your better way to do it anyway. Didn't make just one cake, but it was several pound cakes. Right, because each cake would be like five pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it was one. Yeah. Wild. This comes into it. This is my very first show hosting all by myself, and I want to thank Bram Kennedy very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Bram. Of course. 
And uh, where can people find you on the internet? Let's see. Um, I think I'm the Bram Kennedy on Instagram. I'm Bram Kennedy on Facebook. Honestly, if you search my name, I'm the only one out there. So B-R-A-M Kennedy, um, Bram Nation podcast, everywhere you do that. Honestly, the best thing you can do for me is go to bramkennedy.com and do a submission form with like your email address or something so I can look like I'm building some sort of uh, base of customers so all right and one last question before you go do you have any piece of advice for those tryhards out there trying to make something cool and running up against a wall again and again keep going keep running into that wall because uh in dungeons and dragons every wall has hit points so you could punch it over and over again and think i'm not making any progress on breaking this wall but eventually you're just going to keep rolling the dice and you're going to hit a 20 and you're going to do a max damage and you're going to punch through the wall. And even if it wasn't a new idea that got you through the wall, sometimes it's just luck and timing. So just keep hitting the wall. Keep going and it's going to work out. All right. Well, I appreciate that very much. I appreciate you. Thank you very much, Bram. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for letting me use your studio. <laughs> Peace.